the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. When it comes to your investments and retirement, in this economy, it's important to be smart. And with the Smart Investor Hour heard right here on AM 1420 The Answer, you'll get both smart and intelligent information you'll need to help with your investing. So sit back, listen, and learn with your host of the Smart Investor Hour, Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management. Hello, afternoon, everybody. <clears throat> we got some phone problems today, so I may go in and out, but uh, it's the way it is. Uh, let's, you know, we've been through a pandemic, and it's about time to start getting motivated again. So, let's let's think positively. I can, and I will. Just watch me. <laughs> Never dream for success, but work for it. I failed over and over and over again in my life. That is why I'm succeeding. Success is how high you bounce when you hit bottom. And then finally, success is not final. Failure is not fatal. It is the courage to continue that counts. That's uh, Winston Churchill, uh, one of my heroes. Uh, anyway, uh, so basically what we're looking at here is a, a telephone problem. So if I go in and out, you know why. Uh, stay tuned for a while. But look, if you want to listen or you want any of the stuff I talk about, you know, we always talk about the ADR list. And we're going to talk about that today. The dividend growth portfolio, the prime income list, our top ideas, small cap, large cap, and all multi-cap, you can just go to my, go to WHK's webpage, better yet, go to local podcast down to the Smart Investor Show, Tim Hayes, and uh, you can go directly to my webpage, and uh, the rest is easy. Uh, you know, you're, you're looking at a scenario where just hit contact me or email me. While you're there, the Insights tab is there for you to look at. We now have Rob Schleimer, who took over for Bob Dickey, on the, the page under Bulletin Board, okay? It's a weekly thing. Uh, Bob is one of the best technicians on the planet. He's been voted that way numerous times. He knows what he's doing. It's worth taking a look. So it's under Bulletin Board. Under the, the Insights Catalog, there's all sorts of good stuff there about investing, and, and we name names, okay? So uh, there you go. Uh, or you can call us. <laughs> My phone number is all over the place. You know, it's uh, it's there. So now this is a live show. I don't know how live it's going to be because of the telephone problem. So if you have a question, the number here is 216-901-0945. That's 216-901-0945. I'm testing Andrew. He just came back. He, he had COVID uh, or was had to sit on the sidelines for a while. Uh, so he's, he's, he can't wait to be back. I'm testing him early. Anyway, um you know, I was listening to Lori Calvacina, our head strategist this week. And, you know, I, I, I think what everybody's talking about is we got to take text temperature and see, you know, what's going on. And her personal opinion is um, she doesn't think the pain in big tech is over yet. Now, this is big tech, not little tech, but we'll see what happens. She says corporate tax, a style rotation are underway. 
And so people are moving out of growth into value. Now, if that continues, we have a problem. Now, I saw some technical things I'm going to talk about in the second half of the show, but I'll, I'll talk about those later. So I, I think if you, you dig into style rotation uh, from a different angle by addressing the question of whether the pain in big tech is fully played out, our work and Lori's work suggest that uh, it has not yet for a few reasons. Number one, the NASDAQ positioning among asset managers no longer appears to be elevated in the futures market. It doesn't seem to be washed out either. So, okay, so that's the big problem. Also, if you took a look at the uh, tech internet, media, and telecom valuations with the S&P 500. They are widely uh, used you know, in the late 90s and 2000s as a truly comparison to big tech values right now. Uh, our work here also continues to suggest that big tech's underperformance hasn't run its course, meaning they're still too expensive. So that's something to think about. Uh, now, it doesn't mean that you're not going to get there, but, uh, you know, for now, I think you want to be, you know, you don't, have to, you don't have to be the first one in. Let's put it that way, okay? So one of the things I wanted to talk about is we remain market weight on large cap healthcare for three reasons now, okay? Our healthcare team has been constructive on the sector, but less so than our, our analysis in other sectors, all right? Number two, our top-down analysis skews slightly negative on healthcare, and three, uh, I think ESG is a bright spot. So we're market weight. We're not overweight, but we're certainly not underweight. So in in, in terms of our top-down uh, analysis, the positives that we see include compelling valuations relative to the S&P 500 and the fact that large-cap value and core investors have already turned overweight the sector. A couple of weeks ago, that I think that uh, the uh, you know if you look a lot of the large large mutual fund people and money managers took huge positions in some of the small four and five dollar biotechs okay which is a very big positive all right so uh, there we go so on the flip side we do see some weak earnings revisions and flow relative to other sectors so. You know, this is the one sector that if Biden lose, it's a, and it, it might lose if Biden is successful in this corporate tax, you know, raising corporate taxes. So that's another thing you have to be considerate of, uh, of uh, health care. So we just remain market weight. We're not, I mean, there's certain areas that we love. There's certain stocks, by the way, that I've seen that are just gradually moving up with decent dividends. That They're not hitting the home run, but they're hitting the single and the double. And for you people who are retired who are looking for dividends, they're they're pretty good ideas. So uh, I'll, I'll I'll leave that at that. Okay, <laughs> um, you know I I had some questions and uh, you know we've been talking about inflation for some time and look prices and expectations are heading higher and the expectations are the part that really the Fed has to kill. But you got to understand where we're coming from when it comes to inflation. What we're looking at is a situation where we've been down, okay? The Commodity Research Bureau Index from 2009 to 2020 went down 81%, all right? That's the the epiphany uh, of anybody thinking about a bear market, okay? You know, that's what you don't want. You know, if you if you think about that going forward, you'll never invest in anything. All right. So 
commodities have been a tough place to be. I mean, look at oil. Oil was $119.87 in 2014 when Kramer had his, he did his thing on back in Montana, you know, 10 years after we talked about it on the radio. We hit minus $41 last spring, minus $41. So prices in the U.S. are moving higher. The economy reopens. The economic activity is picking up. April consumer price index was up 4.2%. That was a pretty big jump. And that's from the prior year level, but the prior year level was you know, down. So, And it's above the 2% Fed target. That's the highest reading in more than a decade. Okay, So market pricing for the future inflation is also in rising. And that's where we have to worry about it, Okay, because if the mindset gets there, inflation doesn't go away that easy, you know, and that's one of the things Fed's, the Fed has to gauge, I think, going forward. The, the market consensus for the future inflation, uh, you know, over a five-year period, that indicator now stands at two and a half percent. That's about half a percent above what the Fed really wants, okay? So these are data points that the Fed correctly, in our view, uh, does not presently view inflation as sufficiently established. But the question is, you know, are they going to start to start to talk about tapering? And if they do that, that could be, uh, you know, I mean, we had a great first part of the year, all right? And so the second part of the year may be people are worried about that. So I think, you know, the, you know, the dividend growth portfolio and the prime income list would be a great place to be right about now. So, uh, you know, look, I think disinflation or deflation, whatever, uh, you know, depends on who you listen to. Tom Porcelli thinks it's disinflation, and he's less smart than I am when it comes to economics since he's the chief economic guy here. It's it's well-established and it's durable. And the reason is technology, technology, technology. Whenever, you know, uh, commodities go up, usually it's, it's, you know, a supply and demand thing. But you also got to throw the technology card in there because technology, you know, I mean, look, when they started going sideways in oil wells and they started fracking, they found a whole lot more oil. That's technology, folks. OK, so it's something to think about uh, anyway. But I think, look, uh, the Fed last week, they, you know, if you read the notes, uh, it was bound to happen sooner or later. But the talk of the Fed dialing back its asset purchase program Rattle the markets a little bit, okay? Uh, Wednesday was an interesting day. So the central banks will inevitably reduce support, count on it. And we expect a combination to uh, stay in place for a couple of years, though, because, uh, you know, we just came off the worst recession in, since the, the Depression. So, look, uh, markets were traded to kind of like a miniature taper tantrum this week, Uh it, because the, the Fed put out their, their, uh, their notes from their April 27th, 28th meeting. So I think, you know, you got to get ready for that and uh, work accordingly. Now, one of the areas that I'm starting to seek some interesting stuff is in the ADR. Now, if you don't know what an ADR is, it's an American depository receipt. All right. And American depository receipt is uh, simply a foreign stock that trades on our exchange so you don't have to deal with the currency problems. Okay. So what we're starting to see finally is a rotation into their reopening themes. And that should continue to favor international value stocks. And we've made the adjustment in our ADR portfolio. And uh, Alan Robinson runs that. And he, he's an Englishman. And he, believe me, he knows what he's doing. Uh, and so he started to add these reopening uh, 
stocks. And what's interesting is, uh, I think a couple things. The regional breakdown has he's had the UK a, a big, uh, a big big portion of this is the UK, uh, and then Japan's about eight percent. Europe's about twenty. Non Asia is about uh, non Japan Asia is about twenty four, uh, and uh, uh, this we'll call others are four percent. So the revenues by end markets, uh, United Kingdom's only eight percent. Which is interesting. North America is twenty eight, uh, so you know he's still staying in North America, but you know he's he's overweight in the UK because he obviously thinks good things are ha- happening there. So um, now I, I did, uh, you know, Rob Schleimer this week talked a little bit about the Russell two thousand and the Nasdaq one hundred, and he said basically that the S and P had a choppy trading range within a uptrend likely to continue, in his personal opinion. And he talked about a couple key levels. And then uh, the Russell 2000, keeping it simple, why 2,306 and, uh, and 2,066 are the two key levels to watch there. So uh, one of the things that he is saying is that if you look at the, uh, the S&P 500, the daily momentum is negative, but it's now back to neutral level. So the question is, will it continue on the downside? And he thinks there might be a series just of choppiness that goes along sideways for a while. Uh, and, and key support. Is, is around 3,900, uh, but in in the current choppiness, uh, 4118 is the is the current support. So that's something to keep uh, in mind. Now the small cap indices are regularly viewed as a barometer of how much appet- you know risk appetite uh, investors have for, and and will that continue? So there's some really key support at 2066 on the Russell 2000, and if, if it holds. We just could remain choppy for a while. But the, the one thing that kind of bugs me, and, and, and Rob Schleimer mentions this, and this is on my webpage, by the way, so if you can, if you want to look it up, go ahead. Uh, and that is the relative performance versus the S&P 500 remains in a short 10 downtrend. And now it surged at, at, you know, starting September. And so it'll be interesting if it, if it reverses back up and continues. And I, I think that's something that people want to uh, pay attention now. For the NASDAQ 100, I think, you know, there's a couple support areas. Uh, but the one thing you've got to look at is the relative performance versus the S&P remains in a downtrend. And it it actually broke down this week. All right. So that's not a good thing. You know, you want to be on a relative basis. You want whatever you're buying, you want it to be outperforming the S&P 500. OK, that's what relative performance is. So we, we want that relative performance there, and I think it's very important that we we watch that. So for those of you who are doing the NDX or the QQQs, uh, you know, that that can be a, a pretty big problem for you going forward, okay? So uh, I think it's it's one of those things that, uh, you know, you got to pay attention to in the short run. Remember, in the long run, we're still in this big, you know, I think uh, current 17-year cycle. The question is, when did the cycle start? And, and you know, some people think it started uh, literally in 2016 and 17, and some started said started in 2013. Anyway, you look at it, uh, there's probably a long, long way to go in this secular bull market. Now, in secular bull markets, you know, we had 1987, we had 1990, uh, where Saddam Hussein rolled in and it, into town and uh, then in 1998, we had the Russian ruble crisis. So 
you still can have bear moves, but the general trend is up. They usually are short-lived. In a bear market, a secular, a secular bear market, that's, you know, I mean, we went down for three years from 2000 to 2003. From 2007 all the way down, to, uh, well, two, yeah, 2007, the end of 2007 to in the first week or first couple of months of first quarter, I guess it was, of 2009, we went straight down. Okay, so in this case, is what you know, when you have a secular bull market, you're just looking at shorter moves down. Okay, uh, so there we go. Uh, let's see, uh, what else do we want to talk about here? Um, one thing I will say is that you know, it, uh, one of the things we follow we follow very very closely is the four month and the thirteen month moving averages. When the four month is extended over the thirteen month. Usually, you're going to have a uh, you're going to come back to the mean. Okay, in statistics, you always regress back to the mean. Now, the good news is is the four months is over 13 months, and that's usually a positive trend. Uh, when it dips below it, that's when you you start to worry a little bit. If it dips big, then you really worry. But usually, uh, if it's above there, it'll regress to the mean, and that can happen one of two ways: we can go sideways for a while, or we can come back. You know, there's two types of corrections time corrections, and also uh, price corrections. Hey, we're going to take a break. We'll be right back. This is uh, the Smart Investor Show. If you've got a question, 216-901-0945. 216-901-0945. Stay tuned. Okay, we're back. ZZ Top to get us started here. All right. You know, the plant-based products are a key driver of sales at grocery stores right now, uh, growing almost twice as fast as the overall food sales, which is interesting. Spins Retail Data released uh, back in April shows that the grocery sales of plant-based foods that directly replace animal products have grown 27% in the last year to $7 billion. Plant-based foods grew almost two and a half times faster than total sales. So for you, you know, for you guys that uh, like to invest in that type of stuff, there's a couple names out there that you can probably buy. And the average wholesale used car and truck combined cost $13,000 in February. That's an increase of 17% versus a year ago. The average wholesale used car was, was, was $9,624. That's a 15%. And what's really interesting is that the uh, the average new retail transaction uh, price in February was thirty seven five twenty four. That's up fifteen and a half percent. Unbelievable. The unprecedented spikes in lumber prices added more than twenty four thousand dollars to the price of an average new single family home, and nearly nine thousand to the new family home or multifamily home since two thousand twenty. Lumber was at 285 a year ago, uh, a year and a month ago. It you know it hit 1,200 bucks. You know, bingo. <laughs> uh, so you've got to be careful with stuff like that. And uh, so, look, uh, I, I think there's a couple of things you got to worry about. You know, because that's what I do. I'm a professional worrier. For my clients, my clients' money, and also I. Uh, but by the way, I, I'm really pushing the wealth plan because the I, I, more I talk to people about it, the better I feel about it. But look, I, I, I was looking at the QQQ versus the S&P 500. And, you know, the spider had kind of a, a rough, you know, I was looking at a daily and a weekly chart. 
but the spider held its 50-day moving average back uh, both times. It, was, it went down below it, you know, in March just for a day, but it held it both times. Uh, where the the QQQs have been below it several times and have not come back, and they're still below it. So now they had a bigger run, so that might be a problem. But I think it's something that you all got to think about because uh, that may be what Lori Calvazina is saying in that, hey, the large cap uh, technology stocks are not going to work for a while. Okay, uh, you know, and and I I say that simply because. Uh, well, you know, I, I just look at some, I look at these charts and I, I see what she's talking about. But, you know, one of the things that uh, uh, you got to, I don't think Wall Street wants to see right now is that uh, usually if the first half of the year is up really big and the annualized return is really good, the second half of the year is flat as a pancake. And uh, now I, I am seeing some of the big names from, you know, what happened last year are attempting to make bases or bottoms, okay? These are some pretty big names, and uh, you know I'm, I'm not going to mention any of them. You got to do your own homework if you're if you listen to the show. Uh, and you know the other thing is uh, the S and P 500 led the way last year. I think the S and P 500 equal weight is probably a better place to be. Um, and you know, I'm, a couple other things I'm seeing here is that commodities have taken a pause. Okay, now look, we we suggested at the end of the year. We talked, uh, you know, about what Tom Lee was saying, Lori Calcivina. We we talked about three or four major head strategists, and several of them said oil was the way to go. Oil's up. It does look like oil's going higher. Okay. Now, some people asked me about the QQQ, and the good news about the QQQ is it made a bottom, and it's making a higher low now. So that would be positive, especially with the PPO. If you don't know what that is, you got to look it up. Uh, that's important, and I'm I'm seeing kind of a similar thing with you know uh apple where it made a low at 116 and it's making another low so uh, you know apple's part of that qqq that i'm not recommending apple by the way uh so the question is are, are we hitting near bottom and uh i don't know I, I i see some of the a couple of the big names that look pretty good on the charts okay so uh and i'm not mentioning those either but uh you know that's for my clients but, you know, it's something to think about. If the QQQs can can lift off here, uh, make the higher low, that would be the first sign, you know, supply comes in. I mean, demand comes in at a higher level. That's very important. It's just like making a lower high where supply comes in a lower level. That's not good. The other thing is, you know, uh, gold has been a relative underperformer compared to Bitcoin. Now, the last time gold started to pick up, uh, Bitcoin got killed. Okay, and I, I remember I had a caller and he said, you know, Bitcoin, I've never had made so much money as on Bitcoin. And I said, well, you better get out because it's parabolic. And then uh, two years later, I came in and said, hey, you know, it had, it's not going down anymore. Well, Bitcoin's made a lower high, so I'd be careful with it. And gold, it looks like it wants to, you know, uh, break out to the north. Okay, so, uh, uh, you know, we'll see if it does. I would suggest that if gold were to break the uh, 182 level, it would uh, GLD, I should say. Uh, it, it would be very, very positive, all right? So, uh, you know, in the long run, by the way, the on-balance volume on gold is turning up. The price momentum indicator is turning up. Uh, so, you know, good good things are happening is what I'm trying to tell you in so many words. Um, it, it, the long-term chart of gold, talk about that. You know, it peaked out back in August of uh, 
I think it was 2021 uh, and, and uh, 2020, I'm sorry. And now has, uh, I'm sorry, it's 2019. I'll get it right eventually. Uh, and now it's broken that downtrend line. So, uh, you know, people are starting to go back to gold. It looks like, um, and, uh, you know, I think that's kind of interesting. Now, you know, Lori Casamina talked about, Calvacina, uh, talked about, you know, some of the healthcare stocks are just, you know, they're moving up gradually. And there's some big names that look really, really good right now. And I would just suggest that uh, I own most of them. And I there's one that I, I kind of missed the first time around. I think it might be time to buy it. But I'm, I'm noticing more and more of these are starting to outperform. And uh, so I think people are going back to uh, some of these names and, 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 and being a little bit more aggressive. All right. Um, so we'll just leave it at that. Now, one of the things that uh, I think you've got to understand is that we're still in this four-year cycle and the four-year cycle is up for now. Um, now, you know, we were talking about the four-year cycle a couple of years ago when we said, you know, probably sometime in 2021, or 2020, you know, we'd be at the end of the four-year cycle from 2016. And uh, we were more right than we thought we were. But uh, look, I think three measures of trend remain intact. Uh, if you look, the S&P 500 remains in a longer-term trend, uptrend, I should say. And it's been tra- trading sideways since, I don't know, the first week of April, let's say, uh, to its 50-day moving average. So the relative performance to bonds and the breadth of participation is measured by the advanced decline line, have yet to show any meaningful divergence to signal a major top developing. But I, I, uh, I think what you have to do is you have to, you know, it's holding support for now. But we do have uh, Greg. Greg, how are you? Yes. Hi, Tim. What's new? Hey, I wanted to ask you. I wanted to ask you a question about. Uh, a while back, you said the way to really make money is to hold on to some good stocks for a long time. Well, I have a Correct. T. Rowe Price uh, blue chip fund. And would that be something that I'd, I'd want to trade out of or hold on to or put more money into? Yeah, T. Rowe Price that is was a high plan. quality. Yeah, T. Rowe Price is a high quality mutual funds. And, and I, I'd rather answer that question. Uh, on the phone at my office on Monday, but look, uh, you know, the, the, I have two problems with mutual funds, Greg. Okay, and I, I tend to use money managers versus mutual funds, and the reason is, is because they create taxes that, uh, you know, boy, I, I mean, if I treated people's portfolios like some of the mutual fund managers, <laughs> I'd be in jail, okay, because they call it churning. Now, that's number one. But each time they do that, they create a taxable situation for you. And like if you have a down year in the market, they could give you a huge capital gain. Okay. The other thing is, who's the manager? All right. Like, you know, one of the greatest, uh, the Fidelity Magellan Fund was one of the greatest funds ever. And they had one of the greatest money managers of all time. He retires. Who took over? Jeff Finnick. He did well for a while. He re- He retires. I don't know who's running the Magellan Fund now. All right. Now there's uh, Will uh, Will um, Denoff is running the the uh, Contra Fund, and he's done a fantastic job. I, I met him; he's a great guy, uh, smart guy. And uh, the question is, who's running the fund, and are they have they been there for a while, and do they have a line of succession? So, 
uh, a mutual fund's different than a stock, okay? In that the stock, I can see, you know, I can chart the thing and, and I can, I know who's managing it, you know, and, you know, if, if there's a major change in the management. So if you're going to hold that fund and the T-Row price, I, I, I don't know enough about it. You know, I'd have to take a look at the Morningstar and some other things. What I'd suggest is you keep track of who that manager is, you know, whether it's, a, you know, like the American funds use a group, okay? Sometimes there's a really good guy in that group that leaves. <laughs> All right, so that's what they do have. A, they do have one guy leaving who has managed that fund for years, and they have a new guy stepping in this year. Yeah, see, that's that's the type of stuff I don't like. But uh, you know, you got it's just a yellow flag. It's not a red flag, Greg. Okay, sure. So you don't have to you don't have to hit the road. You know, you just got to watch the guy a little bit closer. That's all. Well, all I right? hope to talk to you in person or over the phone one of these days, Tim. And I appreciate your show every week. Okay. Well, great. Uh, thanks, Greg, and have a great weekend. Thank okay? you. All right. Stay cool. Uh, all right. Uh, and once again, it's 216-901-0945. 216-901-0945. So, you know, I, the, 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 the big question, you know, small, small camps remain, you know, in a relative good reversal, but I think a lot of these, a lot of the momentum indicators starting to turn down. So uh, be careful there. Hey, we'll be right back with uh, the bullish percent. Stay tuned. All right. Here we go. We're back. If you just tuned in, this is Smart Investor Show. My name's Tim Hayes. And like I said, if you want any of the material that we have on this, you know, go to WHK's webpage. Go to local podcast down to the Smart Investor Show and Tim Hayes. First of all, you can go right to my webpage. And there you can ask for our dividend growth portfolio, our prime income list. Uh, you can have we can have coffee sometime. I'm, I've got the shot. So and I know a lot of people haven't, but I, I have. Uh, the ADR list. I think some, there's some really interesting plays in the foreign markets right now as far as dividend growth. Uh, our top ideas, small cap, large cap, multi-cap, you know, uh, we have them all. So also, if you go to my webpage, remember, Rob Schleimer is now on, under bulletin board. He's our head technician. He took over Bob Dickey. Bob retired. God bless him. He's a, a, a great guy. Wow. He was a pleasure to work with all the time. And Rob is too, by the way. And Rob is a well-decorated uh, guy. You know, he, he he won quite a few awards in his time. And uh, so he'll be on, it'll be a weekly thing now, not a daily. Uh, I, I think it's important to, you know, you got to change. He, he has a different style than Bob. So you got to get used to it. Under Insights, uh, there's a lot of good materials we had this week, and I'll just leave it at that. Uh, so hit the Insights tab while you're there. Um, we should talk about the dollar. Uh, I don't think everybody likes how much spending we're doing. And I noticed the Republicans just went no to 1.7 trillion. Thank goodness. Uh, but I, I don't think the left, the far left is going to stop trying to give away money. I mean, I guarantee you Como's under the gun. Uh, what's his name? Newsom out in California is under the gun. Whitaker in Michigan's under the gun. You know, pre monies keeps them in office probably. But I, I, so I think the dollar could be under some pressure. And that may be what's showing, you know, gold up because the dollar's been kind of strong at the beginning of the year. That's why Bitcoin's gone crazy. Uh, but 
if you break eight, I think if you hit 89, uh, you'd be at a problem. If you hit 88, we'd be a big problem. Now, those are big moves for the dollar, okay? But if we were to break 88, uh, that's that's the last of the support. And then I would say, uh, you know, commodities are going much, much higher because commodities are priced in dollars. So it takes more dollars to buy those commodities. Uh, the price of them are going up. Trust me on that. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what it does to Bitcoin. I don't know, but uh, we'll see. Now, we always talk about the, the, the bullish percent on this show. And why do we do that? We do it because uh, it's a risk monitor. Okay. Back in the days of Charles Dow, uh, he had several proteges that were really smart guys, by the way. Um, and what they what they wanted to do is be bullish at the bottom and bearish at the top and know when to start to pull in the reins, okay? So that one of his protégés put together the bullish percent. And it's been it's been kept all these years by our friends at Dorsey Wright, Tom Dorsey and Watson Wright. I think they both retired, by the way. Uh, the NASDAQ now owns them. So, but the, the bullish percent just keeps you, you know, your eye on the ball, okay? So, it's a chart that goes from zero to 100. When you get over 70, we were just there. It's, you know, that's the, the red zone. That's when everybody's talking about their portfolio. Everybody's dancing the streets, you know, doing the rumba. And when you get below 30, that's when nobody opens their 401k checks. I, I mean, uh, you know, uh, statements. And uh, wife and husband don't talk about money because they know their portfolio is down 15%. Uh, so we were just above seven. We were just above 70 and the column of X's as of last week. We are now in a column of O's and we're down to 67.7%. So we're down 3% from there. Still a long way to go if we in, you know, continue to go down. Okay. Now, uh, I will say this. We went from 60 to 80. Then we went for, back to 60. Then we went to 60, uh, uh, 78. Then we went back to 60. Well, then we went to 76. Then we went back to 60, then we went to 74, then we went back to 60, we went to 70. That's a series of lower highs, folks. That means supply is coming in a lower level. Usually that's not a good thing. Now, the over-the-counter index, which was positive, went negative, but it was actually up for the week. It went negative last week. We had to do a tape last week due to some computer problems at RBC. And uh, is in a column of O's now. So you got to watch, watch your step with the small caps again. And same with the world index. It, uh, it broke down this week, by the way. Uh, 50 was where it broke down, and it's now at 50, and it's a column of O's. So the technical picture, we're having some downside pressure. Uh, you know. And, and I, I look at some of the high-low indexes, and I get a little bit worried. And then I look at dynamic asset-level investing, which also comes to us from our friends at Dorsey Wright in Virginia. Great folks. And you know, if we look at the best ideas, small-cap growth, small-cap value, small-cap blend, mid-cap growth, mid-cap value – are the top five categories, all right? As far as groups, it's consumer cyclical, the financials, basic material, industrials, energy. That's it. Technology is not in the top five, folks. So, you know, so, you know, if you dive into the technology sector, which everybody's been talking about, we have not seen the sector fall in the dynamic asset level investings, but there are a number of stocks within technology that have moved in a negative, negative trends in a big way. And uh, I thought it was interesting. We had some interesting sector that went to positive trends like real estate and it's in the column of X's. 
utilities, you know, which we talked about two months ago, uh, energy, which we talked about at the beginning of the year uh, as the wild card, and uh, communications is a column of excess, but everything else in the column votes. So right now, I think the risk is a little bit higher. I don't know how high because there's a lot of money on the sidelines. It's amazing how much money went out of the market last year and only part of it came back in. So they're still frightened, which is a good sign, okay? Now, the American Association of Individual Investors are still fairly bullish, so you want to be careful there. I am seeing that, you know, most of the uh, uh, averages have had weekly, negative weekly momentum, which means, you know, they're probably going sideways. Now, the one thing I will say is the Frontier Index uh, was positive for eight straight weeks, and that's a pretty long time in this thing. Also, the mid-cap has been negative for six weeks and small cap for 10 that's a pretty long time in, in the stock market. Uh, but the, we did see the Dow, the S&P 500, and the XLG and the QQQs all flip over to negative momentum uh, last week. So uh, usually that lasts a couple weeks, three weeks. But if you look at the major market performance, the EFA, which is the Morgan Stanley Corporate Index, or the bigger names in Europe and developed nations, that's why I've been talking about the AR list, ADR list, it has you know, year to date, they're up about 9% and, and their momentum is very positive. So uh, the the small caps are up 20% for the year. And that's that's the one we want to see turn around. We especially want to see the relative performance turn uh, against the S&P 500. That would be very positive as far as I'm concerned. Uh, when the small caps lead, uh, usually it's going to be a good market. Okay. Um, some people ask me about, you know, sector changes. And, you know, we only have seven sectors now that are favored. Remember, you know, last year, we had, I think we had 29 of the 40. And most of the sectors that are favored are pretty overbought. So remember, we go 70 is very overbought, 30 is very underbought. So we have banks at 84%. You know, you want to wait on buying banks right now. Savings and loans are at 74. Insurance, forest and paper products, steel and textiles are at 70. And then building materials at 66%. So you know, none of those are really viable. You want to wait for weakness. Now, we do have several groups that are below 30. They are unfavored. Let me repeat myself. They are unfavored, but we're looking for these to turn up. They are software, drugs, biotech, internet, and semiconductors. Those are the leaders, folks. Those were the leaders. And they're all getting crushed. By the way, you know, there's a lot of names down in that area. You know, they're between 30 and 30, and we'll say 40 that were top performers before. So they're killing the stuff that let us out. All right. So just just remember that. And, and like those are the names you want to keep an eye on if you have a big turn, which I'll know and you you know right away, and you probably won't know until Saturday. Sorry about that. But building materials was at the most favored. Now they've moved down a step, and real estate. Uh, is went to unfavored again. Uh, they, you know, we were telling you to buy yield when it was up. So when yields up, the price of the real estate's down. So several of these have bounced pretty big. So you want to kind of wait on them. I think they're, you know, they're they're yield plays. So I said that same thing with electric utilities about two months ago. Uh, gas utilities did move up, and I think that's simply because I think uh, oil prices are going. Uh, and I don't think the Biden administration cares. They want the price of oil to go up. So you buy electric cars. Uh, restaurants, which had been favored, are now un, uh, average. And precious metals uh, went from un, very, very unfavored to 
average, which is very interesting, too. Um, somebody asked me about uh, the international stocks, and one of the things I noticed uh, is a couple of the Mexican ETFs have broken double tops. Now, there's one I like best and uh, has a high fund score, which I like. You know, it's a momentum play. Uh, but Mexico seems, you know, something's, something's cooking in Mexico. I don't know what it is. I'm not an international economist. So, um, look, the, the, the 10-year Treasury Yield Index, the TNX, this is what you've got to follow. It hit 1.7 last week. And then it reversed down and, and is now at 1.62, but it's not going down a lot. Let me repeat myself. It's not going down a lot. And remember what I said a couple months ago is that gold usually leads interest rates by about 20 months. That happened exactly one and a half months ago. It was 20 months going back to when gold took off. Okay? So... If gold turns around and breaks down to a new high, uh, interest rates may not be far behind it. I still think convertible pond, bonds, uh, they, they had, had been leading the way, but for the last 30 days have had the most negative move. And the big stuff is the inflation protection bonds have been the best. Uh, so for those of you who are fixed income buyers, I would stay with the inflation protection bonds. Uh, if you don't know what those are, call me and I'll, I'll give you a, a clue. Uh, as far as commodities are concerned, crude oil was positive till, uh, you know, Friday afternoon it may have turned down. I didn't see it, and I, I, I'm having some problems. For some reason, the weekends are bad at uh, my firm. Uh, I don't know why, but I, I can't, I can't get into some web pages that I normally get into. Uh, I need, you know, that they won't accept my password for some reason. But gold has been positive for uh, about eight weeks now, which is positive, and copper's been positive for four weeks, although the price. Has held okay. The price, you know, started at two ten when I first first talked talking about it. It's at four seventy three. It went over ten thousand bucks a metric ton just this week, which was amazing. And corn, which has been on a tear, it's up thirty five percent this year. Uh, hit four, you know, uh, six fifty eight on the price. So that's that's really positive. And then just you know, uh, we you know we talked about uh, um, uh, gold. You know, gold's right near its bullish uh, uh, bearish uh, downtrend line. So just remember that. Relative strength buys, these are things you want to take a look at. Hess, Ben, uh, Franklin Resources, Foot Locker, LQK uh, Corporation, Lincoln National, NN Inc., Schlumberger, Ultralight Batteries, Catalyst Farm, AMC Entertainment, and Enable Midstream. Uh, we, we, didn't, we had a lot of sales. I'm not going to go to those, uh, but, you know, something to think about. All right, let's take a break. Uh, this is Smart Investor Show. Remember, if you get a call, you want to call in here, it's 216-901-0945. That's 216-901-0945. Stay tuned. You're willing to sacrifice our love. Okay, we're back. The Smart Investor Show. I'm Tim Hayes, and uh, now we talk about insiders. So what we've done is we start with our strategy piece, and then we worked our way down to some technical indicators. Then we actually worked and we talked about relative strength buys. Okay, now we're going to talk about insider buys. Why do we look at insiders? You know, their company better than we do. All right, it's that simple. Now, by the way, they're right 64% of the time, 
analysts are right 57% of the time. Okay, now they're looking at all analysts. That's bad analysts with good analysts. So, you know, good analysts are right a lot more than that, but insiders are right a lot more than most of the analysts. So uh, just remember that. Uh, you know, we had a couple names this week that I think are really important. Uh, I own some of these, so um, I get to let you know that ahead of time. Uh, Uber, Dan Loeb, but 6.75 million shares last week. All right. Uh, and Dan Loeb was the guy that bought Disney at $92, $93. By the way, Disney hit 203 about a month ago. Okay. And then their, their revenue was short because of, you know, they don't have any, uh, you know, they're not really opened again. But their earnings were like a buck 28 versus the, the estimate on the street of 25 cents. So it was just overbought and they, they need to sell it off a little bit. But uh, Mr. Loeb is a very smart man. So you might want to take a look at, you know, Uber. I'm not recommending it. I just telling you that he bought it. Also, uh, Avangrid, which is a really interesting company. It's a greeny company that uh, that helped make some of the, the materials made for electric car batteries. Plus, it's a utility. And SA Interval bought 63.42, I know. Sixty-three million four hundred twenty-four thousand shares. That's a lot of money. I, I think it's in the billions. <laughs> so uh, that's a you know a, an interesting play on the greeny side. So for remember the green stocks that got killed here. Buy low, sell high. Okay, that's all I got to say. And Summit Therapeutics, Bob Dugan, who uh, made me a lot of money in pharmaceuticals, uh, and and a couple other names. Bought 11.365 million shares of Summit Therapeutics. And his COO, Maka Zaganath, bought 389,000 shares, which is not chump change. Also, I noticed there was 13 insiders at CVS that bought an average of about 3,000 shares each. Love when I see multiple buyers there. And then Kutera, uh, which is medical device, and by the way, hit a new high. Uh, Dan Plants, who's a very smart guy, looked into his background a little bit, bought almost $20 million worth of stock. Uh, and then here's a little one, MICT Inc., $1.81 stock. You had the CEO, uh, Darren Mercer. Uh, I, I don't know anything about his background. He bought 6 million shares to $8.4 million worth. And then uh, we had several buyers of ELOX, which is another $1.55 stock, uh, and we had uh, two directors uh, buy about $6 million worth of stock. And then one director buy about $2.5 million worth of stock. And I think there's one other that I, I can't find it. So, And then GoodRx, which uh, it's amazing how many people are using that product. Uh, we had a director called Silver Lake Group, which already owns like five million, uh, 4 million shares, by 195000 which is the tune of $6 million. $6.1 million. And then the two days later, they bought another $6 million worth of stock. So uh, you like seeing that. There's, there was one other buy on uh, GoodRx, and I can't read my own handwriting. <laughs> so I'll just tell you, it's a, there's another buy. All right. Uh, also, Penny Mac Financial Services, huge insider buying here. MFN Partners bought $6 million. Uh, Farad Nanji uh, bought $12 million. Uh, no, he bought he bought uh, seventeen million, and MFI bought another, they they bought a bunch too. Uh, but these guys they bought another million dollars here, million dollars there. So something's going on with uh, 
Penny Mac, and I, I like it because it, it just broke out of a base too. So, uh, and then uh, Quadrix International, uh, Silver Lake Group, which is pretty smart money. They own, uh, they bought 120,000 shares at 30. Uh, so you like seeing that. And then um, here's a couple that I think are kind of interesting. John Stanky, who's the CEO and president of AT&T, bought a million dollars worth. That's the first time I've seen anybody buy AT&T in a long time, and they just cut their dividend, which is really interesting. And uh, senior VP and CFO, which I like when the money guys buy it, uh, Pascal De Roche, uh bought uh, half a million dollars worth too. So, you know, you you, you kind of like seeing, uh, you know, the big, the, the guys that are, uh, uh, you know, running the numbers, buying. I really like that a lot. Plus the CEO. Also, app loving corporation was a software company uh eduardo viva bought uh a million dollars worth uh just recently so uh, you know had quite a few by the way i had quite a few multiple buys that i don't have time for <laughs> uh but i thought it was kind of interesting but uh look i i i think a, a couple things uh you know if we look at things um the relative performance of the ndx and the qqqs are breaking down all right let me say that again the relative performance compared to the S&P 500 of the QQQs and the NDX, these are the large technology companies for the most part, are breaking down. That hasn't happened in a long time. And uh, look, I was early by about two years on, uh, you know, telling people, uh, hey, you know, value versus growth. I didn't foresee what was going to occur as far as the uh small little technicality we had last year, all right? Uh, but I think, you know, the, the positive thing that I see is the S&P 500, the monthly relative performance versus bonds has broken out big. So it doesn't look like we have any problems, you know, that bonds are going to start to outperform right now. Um, as a matter of fact, I think the inflation or the tips, the Treasury inflation-protected bonds are probably the way to go. Or if, you know, if you have, you know, look, if bonds or if interest rates were going to pull back hard, it doesn't look that way right now. <laughs> okay, I'm looking at the chart and it doesn't look that way right now. So what I would suggest is is that you know there could be some pressure on the upside for interest rates. Coming from the all-time low, I mean in the history of mankind, basically, you know, you know, we had negative interest rates. That's never happened. I'm going back to the Romans, okay? This is we're at very low interest rates. The chances of them going up are pretty darn good. Now, whether that's going to happen today, tomorrow, six years from now, I don't know. Okay. I'm just saying you're more likely to have them go up than go down. <laughs> it's not not that hard to figure out, folks. All right. Uh, so I did notice a couple of things. I the I was looking at the Morgan Stanley Corporate Index, the EFFA, and uh it's in this base, and you know it's getting to a place where it might be breaking out, and uh, that's something to pay particular attention to. Uh, also, the emerging markets, uh, by the way, you know have, have broken out in price, but on a relative basis, they have not broken out against the S and P 500. Now, if the dollar drops, remember we're looking at 88 for an all-time you know breakdown low uh, in this cycle for the dollar. Uh, that would be negative. These things would go up because you're buying them in dollars. All right. So uh, I'll just leave it at that. Uh, now, I do think uh, I was looking at oil and, uh, you know, 
I, I don't see uh, oil pulling back very much. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I look, I think it could get beat up a little bit in the short run because it, it just skyrocketed last week. But the, the CRB Commodity Index, if I go back all the way to 2009, has finally broken its downtrend line meaning it's become a solid citizen again, okay? And I looked at copper futures, and I looked at oil, and I said, these are pauses. These are not breakdowns. You know, oil broke the the, up, uh, the downtrend line going all the way back to 2008. You know, that's it. You know, th- th- these are positive, positive things. You know, gold, gold versus copper, it's better to be in copper right now, but I think gold could pick up, you know. Uh, we'll see what happens. But anyway, so what I do now, uh, I would go to WHK. 14:20 a.m. and I would go down to the uh, local podcast and then go down to the Smart Investor Show. Tim Hayes, if you'd like to sit down and have a cup of coffee, call me. I, I pick up the phone. Um, you know, I, I always pick up the phone, or I'll call you back. I promise you on that one. And look, go to Insights. There's a lot of good information there, and they name they may they name names. Okay, they name names. Okay, we're not afraid to show you what we're made of. And then also, if you just hit the, you know, contact me or email me, we have our dividend growth portfolio, our prime income list, our top ideas, small cap, large cap, multi cap, our ADR list, which is American depository receipts, so foreign stocks that trade here. They're all available to you. In the meantime, uh, have a great weekend. This is the Smart Investor Show. I'm Tim Hayes. Remember to buy low, sell high. Thanks for listening to the Smart Investor Hour. To reach Tim during the week, call him toll-free, 888-223-7742. That's 888-223-7742. Or visit his website, rbcwmfa.com slash Tim Hayes. That's all one word in the address bar, rbcwfma.com slash Tim Hayes. Please join us again next Saturday for the Smart Investor Hour to hear more smart investing from Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management.